Well, we're going to start this series um, looking at foundations and what God does in your life. So I, I pray you're able to understand everything we walk you through this month as we guide you through it. I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about foundations. Many of us are not contractors. In fact, there was a, a politician from the backcountry that, you know, he ended up being mayor, counselor, all that kind of stuff. And a couple years after he retired, the local reporter sat down with him and said, hey, what happened to that fundraising foundation that you had? You know, you just raised all that campaign money. What happened to them? And, and the politician thought a little bit, and he just said, well, they went their separate ways, and the reporter didn't want to pry, but he just had this illustrious career. So he said to him, like, you know, hey, no, seriously, what happened to that foundation? And the politician kind of thought about it. He said, well, I mean, yeah, I guess everybody went for the, ran that foundation. They just all went their separate ways. Some went to Rikers, some went to San Quentin, and a couple ended up a couple other jails. I don't know if you know foundations that you give your money to. Each quarter we bring up to you a different foundation through the Southern Baptist community that does different things. And what happens in foundations is you get all this together and then you move forward with it. You get resources from other people. Um, but that's not the kind of foundation we're talking about. We're talking about the core foundation under your house that you may not even think about. In fact, most people don't think about it until there's a major problem in their house. So each week we're going to share with you some small ideas that eventually make big changes. And we want you to walk along with us through that, okay? Just kind of walk along and say, okay, I'm tracking where you're going. So that at the end of the month, your house is built differently. Some of you have houses that are built on full cement slabs. Um, other people may have had a house in your time where just the foundation was around uh, and, and you've had a frame out around that. But we want to get to the core issues of living on purpose from the beginning. From the beginning, living on purpose and living how God would have you. So we're going to share this verse today from 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 15. And so we'll have that up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we'd ask you to stand with us as we read God's Word together. Just this beginning conversation of what a foundation is and how it affects your life. Here's what Paul says as he's writing this church in Corinth. They have some things down, but they're really, they're just missing the bar on some things. So Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me. Remember that from last month? You have a spiritual gift God gives it to you out of grace. Paul had a certain gift. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And let someone else build upon it. Let each one to take care about how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and that fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If the work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as though he went through a fire. Let's pray about that. Father, we know you're doing things in our lives, and we are built, especially in our culture, to be builders, 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 builders. What we do is we add and add and add. Help us throughout this month to back off of the things we see and look at the things that are unseen. 
direct us like Paul did to the church in Corinth to look at our foundations and guide us that you be glorified in our time together. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a good old boy that got cut by a farm worker that he didn't want him anymore, so he decided he needed some money, and so he went into town to the richer part of town, and he found where the local lawyer lived, and he walked up to the door, he rang the doorbell, um, and he said, hey, is there any handiwork I can do for you? And the lawyer thought for a little bit, and he said, well, you actually, if you can, um, if you could paint my lavish living room, and if you could then paint my modern bedroom, and in fact, on top of that, why don't you paint the porch as well? And uh, the lawyer then looked at him with a little smile, and he said, but I only have 50 bucks. Can you do it for 50 bucks? And the good old boy thought, well, money's money. i got to feed myself. I'll take the 50 bucks. So the morning passed, and he was working, and he came out of the lavish living room with sweat on his brow. And the afternoon passed, and he came out with sweat just all over his face and his back. And then about an hour later, he was finished. He walked to the front door, and the lawyer said, what? You finished everything? Yes, sir. In fact, I had extra paint, so I painted the porch twice. I thought, well, that's amazing. Well, here's your $50. And the good old boy went his way, and before he got off the property, he turned around and said, hey, by the way, sir, that's a Ferrari, not a porch. Get it? Because he painted, he painted the, he thought the porch was a Ferrari. It gets worse. The jokes are not getting better. We're staying in good old boy land, and they're, gonna, they're not getting any better. So just get ready. Listen, there, there's part of our lives that it's all this outward stuff, right? I'm sure you all have Porsches and Ferraris, so let's include them in, okay? But we have other stuff. We have the, our favorite sofa. We have our favorite clothing. We have our favorite stuff. It's all this stuff that fills up our life. And, and Paul is trying to write this church in Corinth of saying, hey, guys, here's what happened. I came in, I told you about Jesus, and then you built on top of it. But be careful what you build on top of it because fire is coming. Fire is coming. This great day of God's revelation. Now, if God tarries, i got to tell you, that doesn't eliminate you from the fire. I have never buried anyone in their casket with their Porsche. Ever. I never buried them with their collection of cards that they've been collecting for years. It's been them. And maybe one item. We had a funeral one time. A guy had nothing of Jesus in his life, but his family were believers, and they brought him to the service. The only thing this guy had in his life was ping pong. It was the saddest funeral I've ever done. And he got buried with him in a ping pong paddle. But I've also seen funerals where there are great-grandmothers who pass away, and the only thing left for people to put in their Bible, they said, what should we put in there? Well, let's put our Bible that's been worn through, that has our names with prayer. That goes in there. But you don't get to put all your stuff in that box when you're put in the ground. There's a fire. If you're cremated, it's even worse because it's just you. And Paul says very clearly, be careful. Be careful because Scripture is pointing to the fact that if you don't pay attention to your foundation, It'll radically affect your life when other stuff is revealed. And everybody sees it in the end. Your passing means that your family has to go through your stuff. It's how it has been. It's how it always will be until the Lord returns. And the legacy you leave sometimes is just the stuff you have behind. 
And this scripture points to the fact of saying, be careful, be careful, be careful, because it will all be revealed. Paul's talking to a kid named Timothy who's planting a church, a young adult who's planting a church, and he points this out of saying, be careful in ministry that you don't just focus on the outside stuff. We do this all the time. We see somebody dressed a certain way, looking a certain way, and you make assumption about their inside. And he says this to Timothy, some sins are obvious. They reach judgment even before judgment shows up. You may have people you're working with in your life, you're ministering to. By the way, this whole area is ministry. This stuff is ministry. Stuff we see on people on the outside, ministry. We see a need, we fill it in ministry. It is a see and do kind of thing. But he says, Timothy, be careful because there's other things you're missing that are trailing behind people that are just as critical. It's obvious when you see someone whose marriage is falling apart, whose life is falling apart, whose, whose, whose insides are falling apart. They just are falling apart all around. They struggle with anxiety. They struggle with depression. They struggle with all these things that you can see blankly on their face. But there's a ton of other stuff that just trails behind. And he's saying, Timothy, if you're going to do real ministry, just in the same way good deeds are obvious, not obvious things show up after a while. And the image that's shared that we see in that Corinthians passage on the, 14, the 12, 13, 14, 15 verses uh, are, are this. He says, now if anyone builds on a foundation, and then he lists all some possible things that you could build on. We know this is the three little pigs. I might as well have done a three little pigs thing, you know? And set up little things. Oh, I should have. Summer has a three little pigs thing in our house. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. We could have had your three little pig thing set up. And I could have crawled out of them. Um... You know, we, hay, what's the other one? Sticks. And then the one builds them out of solid cement. He says, that here's what's going to happen that's going to be manifest over time. You're going to see it over time. And sometimes you will not see it until the Lord returns. But it will be revealed for what it is. Um, you have all this stuff that God's blessed you with. And we'll talk about stuff next week. You've been so blessed, and God's going to multiply in your life in incredible ways. We're going to make sure that we encourage you in that next week. But you have all this stuff in your life. Some of it is timeless. Others are just dated. Have you been in somebody's house that has wallpaper that's maybe 30 years too old? Or they have a sofa that's like maybe 20 years too old? They try to cover with a clear plastic thing they try and cover with you stick to. But it's just old. It's dated. A part of our lifestyle is we don't pay for cars once we start driving them. So we'll take a used car that's a beater car that we own over something we're making payments on. And everybody gets in the car and goes, man, how old is this car? Just be quiet and just duct tape the glove compartment back up, okay? God's blessed you with so much stuff, but the hard part of ministry is not seeing the obvious. Listen, if you go to any therapist, they're going to sh- know in their framework these six things you're going to see on the screen. This whole sense of these six areas that are in your life, and they're going to work you through these. The hard part about church is, if you remember last week, the job of ministry is to bring you to maturity. Our job is to equip the saints so we all become mature. That's not the same thing as equipping the saints so we all become happy. 
Being happy is maybe what you did as a child when you didn't have to pay. We were joking with our high schoolers the other day. They were so patient with me, but I sometimes just speak without thinking. And I ask them what's drama at school, what's not drama in in real life. And they couldn't understand that. And and so I I blurted out, well, you guys are kind of like pets. Like your parents pay for everything and feed you and they dress you. And none of them attacked me afterwards. But I made the analogy of the fact that they're kind of like pets. You keep them, you dress them, then eventually they run away. And you hope you have your tag on them, you know. But they were thinking like, well, yeah, the, the breakup at school, that's definitely something we talk about at home. I was like, yeah, but what do real humans talk about at home? People that aren't worried about being happy maybe, but are working on maturity. So you go to a therapist and they'll say to you, hey, are you self-aware? Are you self-controlled? Are you self-directed? That's a therapeutic grid that people use. They won't tell you that. They'll just ask you questions. Is the person I'm working with have these problems because they're not self-controlled? Or is it just because they're not self-directed? And then they'll sit down in couples therapy and do the other side. Is this couple relationally aware, socially aware? Are they relationally skilled? Do they know how to communicate? And are they relationally responsible? Now, don't be confused. These are all biblical ideas that come out of this. They're pretty practical, though. Like, if if someone is self-aware enough to know they can't fit in this sofa seat, That's different than them being socially aware enough not to tell somebody else that. In other words, you can't fit in the chair at home because you got a little big over the years. Not a wise decision to tell your partner the same thing, that they can't fit in the chair because you are are personally self-aware. You know how big you are, but you're not relationally aware that telling your spouse that they've gained a few pounds is not wise. You get tripped up in this in ministry all the time. Just because you're aware of your sins doesn't mean you need to point out everybody else's sins. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. As believers, we should be praying for conviction, not be the propagators of of conviction ourselves, of condemnation. It's the Lord that judges. And when people are ready, when the fruit is ready, you collect the fruit. You don't stand there and yell at the tree, grow grapes, grow apples. You loser. Look at the fruit I'm making. So very quickly, if you're in ministry, let me walk through these six areas. Being self-aware is just another word for maturity. And you know the, the pathway to be mature is humility. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Being self-controlled is just another word for restraint. We talk about that all the time. That's just discipline. That's just correction. That's just purity. Being self-directed means you have this sense of autonomy. Scripture says you have everything you need to do the ministry you're called to do. The Holy Spirit is yelling in your ears. I was with one of the small groups this week, and these are unchurched kids, and they were talking to me in the small group about how the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. They just didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. So we were in this spot, and we suddenly, I suddenly had this voice that said, we should go away. And man, I'm glad we did, because those kids got arrested, and we didn't. And I was like, hint, hint, you met Jesus. Now he's talking to you. How are you doing with those things? Where are you weakest in those things? Is your goal to work on being humble? Because you're really not self-aware. You just think you got it all together. And maybe Jesus still has work for you like he did with every single human in the history of the planet. 
Is your issue self-control? Maybe your need is dependent on Jesus instead of dependent on your own strength. And are you self-directed? Maybe the verses you should have on your mirror are, go into all the world and teach the nations of me. Those directing verses. But on the other side, how are you doing when you minister to people? Are you socially aware that the person you're probably talking to has way more going on than you can ever imagine? The, next, the best ministry hour is the next hour in the church when people go to lunch and bump into waitresses that hate church people. They hate church people. They show up in a group. They, they might have been talking about Jesus, but when they show up at the restaurant, they're impatient, they're hangry, and they leave poor, poor tips. But if you do it right, and by the way, this becomes annoying because we just had this happen yesterday. If you do this right, you will minister to a waitress, and when you're out eating at another restaurant, she'll come up and talk to you because you're such a blessing to her. And both my wife and I had to try to, in our minds, guess where this person was from. Hey, good to see you guys. What are you doing at this restaurant? Oh, I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> are you socially aware enough that the people you're ministering to probably have a way bunch of trail behind them that you can't see? Are you relationally skilled enough that you know how to encourage them and not point out where they can't sit, but point out where they can? And you're socially responsible enough that you don't believe love your neighbor as yourself is a suggestion, that you actually think it's a command. So therefore, I would never speak an uncivil word outside to someone, particularly who doesn't know Jesus, but to anyone else, because I don't want them to speak one to me. But that's just surface stuff. <laughs> that's just surface stuff. Pay attention to your foundation, because all of this stuff will be revealed. Well, um, that good old boy ended up doing good with his, his working business. I told you it wasn't going to get better. Built a whole construction company. A couple years later, the lawyer went, went down to Miami, and they saw this great Art Deco kind of thing, and they're like, man, I want my house to be like that. And he just dialed up the biggest ad on the thing and said, I want you to come in, and I want you to just put a glass wall right through the middle of my house. I just want to have it so glass wall right down the middle. And the company called back and said, that'll be great. That'll be great. We can get that easily done. And the workers came in. These workers came in, and he said, it should be done in like a week. And, and, you know, got all the glass, got all the glass blocks, all that kind of stuff. And, and it was one week went by, and it wasn't done. And they thought, oh, no, now we're into it. Two weeks went by. The workers showed up every day, and it still wasn't done. The lawyer thought, oh, now we're into it. This is going to take forever. Three weeks went by, and he's just had enough. You know, he wants his house to look beautiful. He wants to show it off to all his neighbors. So he tells the workers, hey, why aren't you getting this done? They said, well, it's not our problem. You've got to talk to the owner of the company. Um, he's, been, he's been really changing some of the plans, the blueprints on it. If you've ever built anything, you know this. You have the choice of doing it yourself and not doing it quite right. Or working with another company that will take twice as long as you might. Maybe three times. And so the lawyer said, it's enough. I'm going. And he went to the headquarters of this. This guy opens the door, and here it's that same good old boy that painted his Ferrari. And he said, what are you, what are you doing, man? What are you, all I asked you to do was build a glass wall. And that good old boy looked him straight in the eye. I was working on stuff, and he looked up straight ahead. He said, sir, it's not the wall that's the problem. We don't know where to put the windows. How can you see through to the other side? Get it? Because it's a glass door. You guys see on the, it's not going to get better. The last one's not even better. Here, here's the mistake you make. 
when we do ministry and only fix these things, we miss what's holding the walls up. I spent a good uh, nine minutes building this last night. Very proud of myself. And you know what the hardest part of building this beautiful thing? This piece right here. This little wall on the inside. Because you had to lay it on its side. It has to go through the one piece, and it has to land on the tabs on the bottom. It took a couple engineers and I to figure it out. And it was, it, it was an easy project, but I got really frustrated building that wall. Ministry is all this stuff. Hey, you're sad. You're depressed. Hey, you're struggling. Hey, you're addicted. That's ministry. Discipleship is the reason why is because your framework was built around the world's ways instead of God's ways. And that's where people really get mad. Everybody loves me because I smile. You know why I smile? Because you're paying me to smile. Just like Disney, you're not saying, I want you to be a pastor here and I want you to walk around being a jerk. No. You're saying, I want you to be a pastor and I want you to be life-giving until I sit them down and say, here's a wall where you want a door. And they walk against that wall and they get, you can see immediately their face changes. They get mad. I say, this is a boundary that's not going to change. Ministry, sing songs unto the Lord, make them happy. Discipleship, that means you've got to show up at 8.30 for a sound check when the service is until 10.30. Ministry, you should come to our small group. Just show up, bring your Bible, just show up to our connection group. No problem. Discipleship, now you're going to read it. You better have read that thing beforehand and know it inward and out. Ministry, bring your kids to our kids' ministry. We love to serve them and care for them. Discipleship, now you're at VBS five days straight, and you're just trying to get a kid not to eat a crayon. The outward things reveal the inner things. Uh, there's a verse in Psalm 127 that you'll hear throughout this month. And we'll relate it to other things as we go along. But it says this, unless the Lord builds a house, those that labor, labor in vain. And then Jesus continues in the same vein, talking to church people in, uh, in, in Matthew 23 with this same kind of thing. He says, listen, unless the Lord builds a house, no matter what you do, it's all in vain. But then he turns to the church people and says, you guys are hypocrites. Because you look good on the outside, like a tomb. But if you ever look inside a tomb, it's just dead and musty and bones. The real work of a believer is not receiving ministry. Cool stuff that I did. I went to this concert. I did this thing. I did that thing. But rearranging the inside of your life so the inside is God-oriented just like the outside appears. Knowing that you have seen the goodness of God doesn't mean you made a discipline that every morning the first thing that comes out of my life will be praise instead of curses. That's discipleship. You want to control your thought life? Make a wall where you want a window. 
And so scripture says, watch your foundation because you're giving permission for God to rearrange and reframe things on the inside of you. And that's challenging. By the way, if you are a discipler, know this. The verse that you should memorize is in Deuteronomy multiple times. And in each and every one of the Gospels, Jesus repeats it. And it's the verse that comes right before loving your neighbor as yourself. That's ministry, loving my neighbor as myself. Discipleship is this. Jesus says very clearly in Mark, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Do you think God was just being cute? Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. I love that. When we go to verses, that's such a great, inspiring verse. Now we have uh, all kinds of pictures that you get on social media that has inspiring verses by people that never said it. I don't know if you've had that. Like, you'll just have an inspiring, like, I think Winnie the Pooh is one of those big ones where it's never been in a Winnie the Pooh book, but they just put this idea. Pooh said, life is great. Hug one another. And you're like, we never actually read that in the book. We do that with the Bible all the time. He's pointing to four different areas that have to come and submit to God's authority if you are expected to do ministry, not just receive it. Where's your passion? If you don't think lost people matter to God and therefore they matter to you, you will never be able to figure out the sovereign will of God for your life because he will leave the 99 to rescue the one. And you'll be so confused. Why do I feel all alone? Why do I feel so depressed? Because you're not where Jesus is working. You're hanging out with the 99 that are just chewing the same thing over and over again. They got the cud, and they're just chewing it over and over again. Jesus is over there doing tremendous work. Where's your passion at? We oftentimes in our church will talk about your identity. Where's your, what's your soul? How do you view yourself in the mirror? Not how much stuff you have. Because if I, Have you ever seen a Hollywood star that you admire without their makeup on? Ouch. Like they're so beautiful in the middle. Oh, who is that? Is that her cousin? You're like, no, that's her without makeup. Oh, I like them better in the film than as a real human. There's just an NBA player that just realized he got injured. And he said, I just realized that, uh, actually NFL player, he got injured and he said, I realized that I was only this person three hours a week. And the rest of the time I was a father and a brother and a son. And my whole identity has changed. What's your identity? Is your identity in Christ? How about your mind? Do you allow, do you capture every thought that comes in your mind? That's the biblical direction. We capture thoughts that come into our head and we discern them first. I hope your discipler is not your phone. Because there are people who are paid a lot of money to build algorithm, algor algorithms for you to watch your phone three seconds longer so they get paid more. A lot of money to figure out, sitting people in rooms and seeing how long they pay attention to a certain color, to a certain motion. If this is your discipler, throw it away and pick up the Bible. Because this will tell you who you are. And who you are is somebody that gets a trend for five minutes. Or somebody that can purchase something. And here's the last part that's kind of hard is loving him with your strength. When ministries get this, when they get away from ministry into discipleship, they start asking the hard questions like, that was wonderful, but did anyone get saved and did anyone get discipled? 
And by the way, discipleship, if you haven't read the Gospels, it isn't easy. You know, all 12 left Jesus when he was in crisis. One of them betrayed him. The 11 came back. One of them doubted. Like, it's not easy stuff. So you don't just say, oh, we're having fruit. But the hard part is, is what's the pragmatic thing? We're so excited to have this event or that event or this event. Uh, we were talking to one of our ministry meetings. The, the point of VBS is not just to be busy and have VBS. The point of VBS is to be able to minister to that many children with the gospel and reach, in extension, hopefully that many families with the opportunity to hear it. Crafts are great. Uh, the titles are great. The songs are great. But they are just this side. So let me ask you, is your life framed up in any way with Jesus? What Jesus says matters most. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to challenge you with some things that Jesus says. And if it doesn't, your reaction will not be, what a great worship service. You'll be like, I don't believe that. But we're not going to share anything with you except things that are Scripture, that come from the mouth of God. But you may really enjoy just walking in and out that door, and then suddenly we say, no, there needs to be a wall there and a door here. And you're like, but I, now you made me have to move. Not just the outside, but sometimes the inside needs to be changed because it can be radically reorganized. Well, a pastor was called to the town. I told you there's one more, and you're going to hate it. Pastor was called to town where this good old boy lived. He lived out in the country. He'd had a great job out there. And the pastor pulled ahead and visited him. So he drove out to this guy's farm, figured out where it was at, state road, whatever, went out to visit him. As he's walking up, he heard a couple arguing inside. And like all pastors, I've done this when I go on visits, you hear people arguing inside and you slow down a little bit. Your walk becomes a mosey. And as he slowed down, he realized there's all kinds of yelling about money and kind of stuff. And he's like, this isn't going to end. I might as well ring the doorbell. He rings the doorbell. Good old boy opens the door. He's like, Pastor, we're glad you're here. I need your help. And, and from the back room, his wife goes, I want to make some concrete changes. And he passed, the, the good old boy yells back, but it costs too much. So the pastor does what a pastor does. He sits down with him and he says, hey, you know, let me talk about relationships. I can hear you're struggling. Sometimes it's good to make concrete changes. He's like, no, pastor, you don't understand. It changes our whole foundation. And the pastor says, you know, it's, it's okay. Sometimes your foundation needs to be changed. And they both look at him blankly, and so he digs a little deep. He said, what's your, what's your marriage built on? What's the ideals for your marriage? And, and the wife said, I love him even when he hunts. And the husband says, I, I love her even when she makes me clean up. The pastor thought, that's not bad. He said, so let me talk again about this foundation stuff. And they just stared at him. Eventually, the good old boy looked at him. He said, Pastor, we weren't arguing about concrete changes. We were arguing about concrete. I want to build a porch. She wants to build a pool. Do you understand all of this is meaningless unless this table stays up? By the way, I've done that three times, so it's okay. All of this is meaningless unless there's a foundation that you build on. And that's how this scripture started. Pay attention to your foundation because it has eternal consequences. Paul shares in verse 10 and 11, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled worker, 
I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. But you can't lay any other foundation but Jesus. You can't build in a world that Jesus made without letting Jesus be the founder of your life. You just can't. If you want to play a game in my yard, you're going to play by my rules because it's my yard. And Paul's not giving them just a spiritual truth. He's giving them physical truth. You can't build your life on anything except that there's a creator who built your life. So therefore, while we'll talk about stuff and all this stuff that's beautiful, I'm going to try not to trip the worship team. And we'll talk about your framework and how you build a life that stays together. None of that matters if Jesus and Jesus only isn't the basis. Paul talks about this in Galatians. He said, this is how I view my life. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I can talk about all this other stuff, about you struggling with the outward thing, that, that this week you're really struggling, you're really struggling, you're really struggling, but those are just outward things. And I can challenge you that you shouldn't take more from your dad than you do from the book. You shouldn't take more from America than you do from Deuteronomy. You shouldn't take more from your job site and their values than you should from the words of Jesus. Because everybody's trying to teach you the framework to build on. Plenty of our friends is work hard, play hard. That is a framework. It just doesn't work. The only foundation is Jesus. And it's not a thought. It's an action. I no longer live. It's not my house. It's not my stuff. It's not my things. It's not my family. It's not my plans. It's not mine. It's not mine because I am dead. And it is all Jesus. And all I do is manage what he gave me. Never let culture come before faith, whether it's your work your family, your state, your country, a speaker you love, a book you read, Christ and Christ alone, or everything will fall off and be a wreck. And you'll come into this place and you'll see, I, I, I'm just a wreck. And if God is gracious, We'll be able to walk you through the front door past all your stuff. We'll be able to point out some of the walls that maybe you made that weren't God-centered. But our heart is to get to that foundation. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Jesus lives in me. Let's pray about that. Father, we trust you in ways beyond comprehension sometimes, knowing that you are a faithful and true God, that you rescue us and care for us in ways that we don't often do for other people. 
Your love is extreme, and therefore you ask us to look at how we build our lives. Lord, we trust you today with our lives. Not just the stuff we own, but we trust you that you are good and gracious. And if we build our foundation on you alone, you're not only saving and redeeming, but you are returning. And you'll be glorified when everything else burns away. You'll be glorified always and only as the founder of our faith, the Lord of our life, and the one whom we build it upon. May you be blessed as we close in worship to you. May you be glorified as we rearrange our lives built on you. And may the story of our home be that you're the one that built it, not us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.